This is AgriPulse Open Mic. I'm your host, Jeff Nally. Our guest this week is Dr. Gary Adams, President and CEO of the National Cotton Council. AgriPulse Open Mic is brought to you by NCIS, the crop insurance industry. NCIS provides the primary safety net for millions of acres of cropland and hundreds of commodities across the U.S., enabling farmers to supply our country with food and fiber year after year. AgriPulse Open Mic brings an update on the cotton industry with the National Cotton Council's Dr. Gary Adams next. America's farmers and ranchers are relying on crop insurance now more than ever before to provide individualized protection and to secure operating loans. Protecting more than 290 million acres of farmland and more than 130 commodities across the U.S., crop insurance is the primary safety net for many farmers, enabling them to supply our country with food and fiber year after year. Crop insurance, providing peace of mind now and for the next generation of agriculture. This is AgriPulse Open Mic. Cotton farmers face a difficult economic plight for 2016 with prices well below the cost of production. Dr. Gary Adams with the National Cotton Council says cotton production, cotton demand, and cotton prices are all lower. We planted in about 8.5 million acres of cotton in 2015, and that was the lowest cotton acres that we've had since 1983, so more than 30 years acreage was off as producers responded to relative returns of cotton and other crops. Uh, so as we look at the harvest that came off of, of those acres, USDA estimates that to be right about 13 million bales. On the demand side, we still rely heavily on export markets. Roughly 75% of our production goes out into the export markets. But I would say on the, on the textile industry side, We've seen a little bit of a recovery in the the U.S. textile industry and some new investment that's come online in the last two or three years. We're still much below where we were a a decade ago. I think the key is on the export markets. Exports are going to be down this year. China's historically been uh, the largest export customer. They're likely to buy less this year based on their own internal supply and demand situation. Uh, We're facing some challenges with Turkey doing an anti-dumping investigation of U.S. cotton. The strength of the dollar creates a a difficult climate as well. So unfortunately, I think we're looking at a smaller export number for the 2015 marketing year. And I think on a global basis, you know, competition from production in places such as India, but we also face a tremendous amount of competition on the demand side. The fact that polyester use continues to grow, polyester prices in China are below 50 cents a pound, so they're less than cotton prices. And all of that just contributes to a a difficult economic climate. When we think of the producer then, as you suggested, some producers have seen a reduction in overall production, but one of your bigger challenges, again, is the lower price because input costs, not just for cotton, but all other crops, have not seen any appreciable decline at all. When we look at prices that are down by 25 to 30 percent from where they were over that 2010 to 2013 period, but cost of production really haven't adjusted lower, so all of that's cutting into the bottom line for producers. And unfortunately, when we look at that relationship between average returns and average cost of production, the expected returns from cotton production is not meeting their cost of production for 2015, unless, the caveat to that would be unless they were fortunate enough to have above average yields. But if you were average yield or below average, then unfortunately growers are, are not in a position right now to cover those costs of production. Uh, so it's, uh, it is, uh, I think, creating a, a, 
a challenging environment for them, particularly as they look ahead and try to secure production financing for 2016. Even the congressional leaders who finished work on the 2014 Farm Bill suggested it wasn't a perfect piece of legislation, but perhaps the best that they could muster under the climate. How are the risk management tools, the stacks program within the Farm Bill, how are they suited or how are they deficient at this point of helping producers manage risk and maintain income in these difficult times? When we look at, you know, where cotton, as it came out of the 2014 Farm Bill, we always have to realize that cotton faced unique circumstances uh, unlike those of other commodities. And namely, I'm referring to the fact that uh, uh, there had to be steps taken to resolve that longstanding trade dispute with Brazil. So it required basically a, um, a significant change in cotton policy and a, a more reliance on risk management options. Uh, certainly there were some new products in the 2014 Farm Bill that it in, uh, have improved the risk management options for producers. Uh, the, the new stacks uh, product is, is one such example. Also some of the ability to use a yield exclusion provision, which can help bolster a producer's uh, APH yield if they are able to use that provision. That helps provide some better risk management coverage as well. But I think we have to we have to realize that when we talk about any of these crop insurance products, whether it be for cotton or for another uh, commodity, those are based off of where the futures market is trading at the, at the early part of the year or pre-planting period. And if we go into a year with low prices, uh, then the insurance products are not going to provide as much coverage. Uh, and that's, I think, the challenge that we faced right now in cotton is that prices have moved lower because of somewhat extraordinary circumstances in the global balance sheet. And with a record level of global stocks, when we look at futures markets heading out into 2016 and, uh, and even beyond, those futures markets are relatively flat. In other words, they're not suggesting... Uh, a lot of improvement in prices either. So that, that puts that pressure on producers, and it really does, you know, again, in, under that climate and under that pricing scenario, insurance products can only do so much. There were attacks on crop insurance in this most round of budget and in appropriations. We were able to avoid it. Um, what do challenges to crop insurance mean to cotton producers? Yeah, those those challenges that were that were made at the end of 2015 were a serious concern to cotton producers because it would have kind of further weakened the crop insurance industry and and still those crop insurance products, whether it be stacks or whether it be the underlying revenue and yield products uh, that producers rely on, those are those are critical to cotton producers. Uh, you know, essentially 95% of the acres in the United States have uh, some type of insurance coverage, and, and more than 80% of those have some buy-up coverage. Uh, so uh, producers in general, particularly in those more risky areas of production, find crop insurance to be an absolutely critical tool in order, in many cases, to secure the production financing. So uh, it is fortunate that we were able to avoid any reductions in the crop insurance funding in this last uh, round of, budget, uh, of the budget agreement. The leaders who have developed or worked to develop the uh, 2014 Farm Bill have made it very clear they have no intention of opening the Farm Bill again, even though there are places that certainly they would like to see uh, amendments. But there are calls from the cotton industry, from cotton producers, for the Department of Agriculture to declare cotton seed as an oil seed. Would that provide you an opportunity to participate uh, in the ARC and the PLC programs? And was that envisioned at the time? 
that the Farm Bill was written. And when we look at that proposal, and it is one that the industry is pursuing, we do see that as an avenue or an opportunity that given these overall economic circumstances to provide some additional safety net to cotton producers. Fortunately, it doesn't require a reopening of the Farm Bill to make that happen. It doesn't require congressional action, which we know in this climate how difficult it could be to put forward legislation to to, uh, to make some changes. Uh, and Farm Bills, for the last two or three Farm Bills, have included this secretarial discretion to allow the secretary to make such a designation. So the authority has been there. In fact, I think if you go back maybe to 2002 or 2003, the secretary actually used that discretion on some other oil seeds to declare those and make those eligible for ARC and PLC. And that's really what what we are requesting now of USDA. And and fortunately, we've seen support from about 100 uh, representatives who signed a letter to the secretary to that effect. And we also have support on the Senate side with 19 senators uh, submitting a letter to Secretary Vilsack, as well as some ag lenders and even other commodity uh, groups. So I think we're encouraged to see that. And, And really... This is this is being sought in response to the economic conditions. I mean, during much of the Farm Bill debate, prices were at a much higher level. It's only been in the last 12 to 18 months, really since passage of the Farm Bill, that prices have moved much lower. And, and we just see this as an opportunity where the Secretary has the authority, has the ability to, pro- to provide some enhancements to the safety net. So we hope he'll choose to do that. Support usually comes with a price tag. Can you estimate what this might cost? And would they have to take away from other programs to foot the bill, or are there other financial means to offset the cost? I think those are good questions, too, on how much it's going to cost. I mean, yes, it's going to come with a price tag. Otherwise, you know, given the economic state, that's one of the reasons we're trying to see some additional cash infusion to cotton producers. So, yes, there's going to be a price tag. I think at this point it's it's really hard to say what that price tag would be because some of it will depend on implementation, exactly how bases are determined, how payment yields are determined. So some of those things are yet to be determined. And I think, too, I think we have to kind of work through some of those aspects to get an idea of the cost. I think one of the questions that will come up is, you know, do there have to be offsets? Because there is the, the issue of what's referred to as PAYGO. Our understanding is that sometimes you see an enforcement of PAYGO. In other words, sometimes you see offsets, sometimes not. Uh, so hopefully that given the current economic situation, that there's the ability to, to provide this additional support without seeking any offsets from any other programs. That's certainly not what we're wanting to see either. What's a reasonable time frame to have this program in place that your producers would be able to sign up for? Can it happen for the 2016 crop? I think it can. In fact, I think there are ways that if the Secretary wanted to streamline a version of the program to even try to make it uh, retroactive based off of 2015 uh, results um, because those payments for the 2015 crop are not scheduled to go out into the into the countryside until October or November of this year. What happens if the USDA doesn't act on this measure and the market continues to play out reacting to the supply of the globe? What we've said, and, and I think one of the points we've tried to stress both in our communications to USDA and to Congress is that you know, when we look at the fact that, as I mentioned earlier, cotton acreage is at its lowest level since 1983, that there's been a contraction there and there's been a contraction in the infrastructure, those gins and warehouses and businesses that rely on cotton production, 
you know, unfortunately, I think without some policy such as the cottonseed proposal that can give some stability there, we're going to see those contractions continue in a loss of infrastructure. And we know that when that cotton production goes out and those businesses are lost, then that has a ripple effect through the rural economy. We've seen research uh, at various land-grant universities that would suggest, you know, those those dollars turn over several times in the local economy. So that's that's our concern that if there's not something done and this current market environment persists, then that pressure on infrastructure and those associated businesses is just going to continue out in front of us. Still looking at the 2014 Farm Bill and implementation, the department recently has offered a definition with regard to those who are actively engaged in farming. How did that set with the cotton industry? We had some concerns about when the proposed rule came out with some of the limits that were placed on the number of individuals that could qualify based on management and some of the specifics that were in the proposed rule. I think as we look at this uh, this final rule, uh, we see a lot of those uh, a lot of those changes are are still in there. So we are concerned that this is going to uh, certainly have a detrimental effect to some farming operations uh, as as they're currently structured. Uh, I think also the concern is that uh, with it being applicable to the 2016 crop, then you've got a lot of producers who have to who who are going to face some of those issues very shortly. Uh, so. You know, unfortunately, it looks like it is going to just, for some farming operations, make it more difficult to qualify for benefits under the various programs. How would you amend it? You know, we went back as we looked at some of the suggestions that we made earlier is that if you've got people who are meeting these more stringent requirements, then why place a, a, a hard limit on the number that can qualify for being actively engaged in farming with the management contribution? So, you know, one, they're increasing what the contribution has to be, but then also placing a hard limit on those that can qualify. Well, if you're if they're meeting this higher standard, why place that limit on it? So that was one of the suggestions we made back in our earlier comments was not to have that arbitrary limit of saying only a certain number of individuals could participate, even though they're meeting a, a stronger standard. So I think that's one thing we would go back to. Gary, shifting to the globe, uh, it is the evaluation period now for the Trans-Pacific Partnership. Are there details inside that agreement that are to the advantage of the cotton industry, or do you have concerns? I would say in general, and, and when we look at a, a, a regional trade agreement like the Trans-Pacific Partnership and how it affects the cotton industry, we, always kind of have, we look at not only the, the provisions as they relate to, to cotton trade, but we look at it in terms of what it means for textile product trade, because that's a lot of times that's where... Uh, some of the real impacts can be. And we have always, through this process or through the negotiations, had concerns on the textile side about the in, the participation of Vietnam in the negotiations. Now, because uh, we were always concerned with a centrally planned economy with a growing textile industry having additional access to the U.S. retail market and the pressure that would put on the U.S. textile industry. Now, having said that, as we look at the outcome of this agreement, you know, I think in general on the on the fiber trade, raw fiber trade, there's most of that trade was already occurring at, at little or no uh, duties. The question will be on the textile side. You know, we think the U.S. negotiators tried to address a lot of the textile industry's concerns. I don't think we see this as a disagreement necessarily as a positive, but probably they've, they've tried to address the concerns and minimize the damage to or the impacts on the industry. 
uh, we still need to dig in a little bit on some of the uh, some of the provisions on the textile side. But I do think they they tried to capture what we call a yarn forward rule of origin that will allow the benefits of the trade to convey back to the signatory country. So that was a that was a big thing in the agreement. So if it's a yes or no vote from the National Cotton Council, I think uh, I think right now we're uh, we're we're still weighing that. I, uh, which way it, it comes down at the end of the day, but I, I would tend to think that we're we're generally okay, but we're going to wait and see until we can dig into those textile provisions before we give one final answer, yes or no. The National Cotton Council and other agriculture groups have raised some questions lately about herbicides that had received approval from the Environmental Protection Agency, insecticides that had been approved or in the process of being approved, and then seeing challenges from outside activist groups that perhaps the scientific standard for approval didn't match the scientific standard for the challenge. No, you're right. I think when we just look at, and this could be an umbrella of covering a number of issues when we when we look at, uh, you know, the potential for new traits uh, within the seeds to come to the market, as well as the potential for maintaining some of the chemistries that we need uh, for cotton production. Uh, we are always concerned, one, with the challenges that uh, that EPA faces from a lot of the environmental groups when they take steps or actions on approving a, a, a chemistry or approving new traits. Uh, you know, we're we're always concerned when when they're not science-based decisions, and that's continuously what we've tried to go back to is that as these are these evaluations occur, there needs to be science-based decisions. Uh, so. This is an issue we monitor because, you know, frankly, growers, as they, you know, deal with production issues, for example, deal with weed resistance issues, they need to continue to keep uh, a number of tools available to them so that they can change up the mode of action, change up the chemistries, and hopefully do so in a way that helps them control their cost of production. You know, this I, I feel like this will be ongoing issues that, that we deal with in terms of trying to protect those products so that our growers have access to them. Whether it's pesticides or whether it is environmental, it seems that regulation and litigation go hand in hand. They do, and that's the thing I think that we find concerning is that when EPA takes action on one of these issues and one of these chemicals, I think EPA almost expects they're going to be sued uh, from some avenue or down one avenue when this occurs. So it just... Uh, it, it, it slows down the process. It uh, it delays probably products coming to the market uh, beyond the time when they would have otherwise. And and I know we have growers who who need those products to come to the market, and unfortunately they're not having access to them. Well, Gary Adams, we want to thank you for spending time with us here on Open Mic. And the title of the program is Open Mic. And sir, you have the last word. Well, thank you very much. It was a pleasure to be here. And, uh, you know, one of the things we're certainly looking at uh, going forward in the industry, again, uh, working through what is a difficult time uh, on the market situation and low prices. Uh, we've seen these uh, these ebbs and flows in commodity markets. We know they're cyclical. Right now, though, we're going through a uh, a bit of a trough in prices. It looks like it could be with us for a time. I think that's why... The industry is pushing so hard for a cottonseed designation as another oil seed because it can help kind of weather this storm that we're in right now, and then hopefully uh, we get past it and we do see market prices and demand recover. Our thanks to Dr. Gary Adams, President and CEO of the National Cotton Council, our guest this week on Open Mic. 
AgriPulse Open Mic is brought to you by NCIS, the crop insurance industry. NCIS provides the primary safety net for millions of acres of cropland and hundreds of commodities across the U.S., enabling farmers to supply our country with food and fiber year after year. For AgriPulse, I'm Jeff Nally.